Hi-Fi Rush. To the PlayStation Store to buy Pentiment. It's out now. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, is Mr. Chris Figgs. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Oh, just great. How are you, Brett? I'm doing uh, good enough. Uh, it is late. We have spent too much time on a completely separate project, and um, we already had constrained hours for today. So <laughs> we've really painted ourselves into a corner, much like Epic has painted, or Mickey has painted himself into an Epic corner. Nice. Um, yeah, if, if only I wouldn't fucked up the delivery, you know, it would have been even better. Uh, first and foremost, if you are new to the show, welcome. We hope you enjoy the show and stick around uh, to hear us talk about different aspects of news. Uh, we're going to have a quicker episode today than usual because of some time constraints. You may notice if you've been listening to the show that this episode did not come out today as it usually would have. Instead, we had to record today because of some issues at my house. Unfortunately, despite trying my hardest yesterday and having power go on and off, I still have no air conditioning, and it's very warm back here, which sucks. But, you know, we suffer for the art, for our art, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so, thankfully, Chris and I were able to make this work. But with that, there's a caveat that this needs to be a tighter, shorter episode than usual. So, sit back, relax. We're going to get to talking about a lot of the games shown today from uh, SMT5, uh, Epic Mickey, Xbox's wave of four games that we finally get to know, uh, despite... Phil Spencer's tightly pursed lips. <laughs> and <coughs> lastly, thing that we'll probably talk about the most is PlayStation's talk about having no sequels um, in big franchises until 2025. But we always start to show off in a time-honored tradition, and is that uh, that is with Chris and I both talking about what we've been playing, what we've been up to, so that we can either give each other games that we may be uh, may need to put on our radar or put something on your radar or take something off your radar if you feel like uh, you don't like what we're talking about. <laughs> so with that in mind, Chris, I'm going to defer to you. Uh, but I'm going to defer to you in a way where we've both been playing the hell out of Helldivers. We haven't. But either. with the extreme caveat, when we can because of the servers. <laughs> yeah, it's been brutal out there in the Super Earth streets. Yeah, so... As you've gotten more time with the game, and I know myself, I've gotten a lot more time with the game. Have your feelings shifted in any drastic way? Or how are you feeling about it? Do you still feel like it's, I mean, it's only been out a week. Seems like mm-hmm. a crazy week because the game has just continued to blown up, um, which is, of course, where these server issues are coming from. Uh, but do you think the hype is kind of living with you or are you starting to feel it dissipate at all? And where are you at with it? <laughs> um, no, I've, I still really like it. I've been playing it less mostly because i've been enjoying the other game i've been playing a lot um but also like i don't there's a part of me that's like i just would rather wait even though i know i'm missing out because i'm like why am i gonna stop playing fallout 3 switch inputs do all this work and then sit in a server queue for half an hour like that's where i'm like like blake will hit me up and i'll be like I will play, but if this, I'm giving this like two tries, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can't blame you. The other day, Blake asked me if I wanted to play, and I got into the queue, and he's like, it took a, it took a, you know, probably 10 minutes for me to get in. I was like, you know, I'll give it 10 minutes. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I waited about 35 minutes to get in. And as my wife noted, she's like, this sucks because you can't do anything else. Right. Like, I know. I almost wish you could tell the game that you wanted to be in the queue, but you could just play another game. That would be nice. 
and, and just because you know the game, I, arguably the game's not doing anything. It's checking a server. It'd be really yeah. nice if in next gen consoles, one of the things they do is say, "Hey, you can put one game off to the side as long as it's not doing anything intensive, and it'll let you know when the servers are ready." That's like a super weird pipe dream. Yeah, God, I feel like that cool. wouldn't work because even if you did that on quick resume on Xbox, it would log you out, so you wouldn't get yeah. any. Exactly. So you'd be anyway, out. So the the thing that sucks the most though is like while I was waiting there that thirty five minutes, I was in party chat with them. We were chatting it up, having a good time. But the entire time, I could not stop thinking I could have done a lot in Banishers. Yeah, <laughs> like, I could have done so much. I've I have played a little bit of Banishers. I don't know if you have anything else on Helldivers, and I like Banishers. But for some reason, it's in such a bad place where I make like five minutes of progress and quit and play something else. Well, like, I think it, on Helldivers, real quick, before we go too much further, mm-hmm. on Helldivers, what I will say is last week I barely played it. I played it way more, and I already thought the game was good. I buy the hype even more now. The game is just fun. Yeah. And part of that is because of the devs creating an environment for crazy things to happen. The other part is just community. And I don't even mean the broader community, even though that does exist here. It's the game just allows for such crazy things to happen with the group of people you're playing with that most of the fun is just emergent things that you didn't plan on and they just happen. Mm -hmm. A good example of that, uh, Blake shot at some eggs that I was running by on a bug planet the other day. And he's like, I thought you'd fly like five feet. And it threw me like 120 or 130 <laughs> feet. And, and he, he just busted out laughing. Couldn't, he couldn't stop. Um, I stepped on some eggs like three or four minutes later while I was fighting something I didn't see. I backed into some eggs and it threw my body underneath this metal thing that was sticking out of the ground. And I was stuck. My guy could not <laughs> crawl out. And Blake walks over. And I was like, you think you can get me? And I tried getting out, and he's like, no, nah, I can't get you. And he just blows my head off with a shotgun, <laughs> and you see it roll over. And he drops a new pod down. And it was just like, I don't know why it's so funny, but it was. Yeah. I had yeah. A, a good experience where we were doing one of the uh, ICBM missions where you have to yeah. launch a nuke. And I was like, I want to see what happens if I just stand in on top of this. So it opens up and my character like falls. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm about to die. But he catches on the nuke. So while Sean and Ben are shooting a, uh, bugs and riding around, I'm just the whole time the terminal is loading the nuke. I'm just go- getting higher and higher in the air. So we finally are able to launch the nuke. And it was hilarious because of how anticlimactic it was where the nuke launches and I just slip off the side and then it rockets me into the ground and it instantly kills me. (laughs) I was like, that was very funny because it wasn't worth it at all. And it was great. Yeah. uh, I, I think the, the other interesting part of that game is I think it's one of the only live service games that I've seen, at least on console side. This is probably something you might see in smaller community games on PC side. Um, But I thought it was really interesting that almost everything that's been happening around the game, they're working on the back end to shift it and make it part of the lore moving forward, part of the story of what's happening. So like, oh, y'all were able to liberate this planet? Cool, that's going to impact what we do next. Oh, you weren't able to liberate this planet? Well, that's going to matter too next time. And we're going to be able to do something like that. And then even small things like 
the server issues being explained away by lore about oh the, there's an issue with the the crypto tanks or whatever the hell they say I can't even remember what it was yeah because you know the whole thing is that you're defrosting your hell diver um, I think that kind of stuff is really interesting and them letting community actions even as simple as just what planets you choose to go to and what planets you choose to do what with play into what's going to happen the next time that they do a planet switch up because as I've noticed or at least from what I understand new planets become available periodically and they have different storylines that come with them. Like this past week, one of the things that happened was the addition of robot planets, which are much more difficult than the bug planets that we had been doing. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And I I like that idea because one of the things like, don't worry, is the game repetitive still? Of course it is. I mean, it's a very simple set of tasks that you're doing, but having it be something that is randomly generated Helps a lot because Destiny and games like it, you get to this thing where it's like, I know this map and the loop that I continue to do and it gets so boring that I just have to keep running through this thing. And it's kind of nice that like every time you load in, it's slightly different and you're doing something slightly different. And there's a chance that there's different, you know, um, different tasks that you can be doing, different side objectives and, of course, different uh, points of interest. But then also, depending on what you're coming into, it's like, oh, shit, new enemy type we've never seen. And not in a way that has to be introduced crazy lore-wise like Destiny, where it's like, well, now we have to introduce the Taken, but that means we have to set up big lore reasons within this big hero. We have to set up a campaign. They could just be like, fuck it. We want to bring robots in, so we're going to do a robot planet. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was cool. I don't know if this was real or not, but uh, I was saying, I don't remember who was saying it to, but we were talking about the robots and how people think they're bugged. And I was saying, like, I wonder if they're not bugged, but it's just supposed to be too hard and we're supposed to lose this war here. If just for like lore reasons, I think that would be really cool if they went and did that. So, yeah, like they're purposely making an oppressive force, right? Like, you're not, and then it's like, we're not supposed to overcome, win that battle. If, if you overcome, that's crazy and we'll work that into what we're doing, right? But you know, but if we not, want you to lose here, yeah, it's like it's, it's basically they're being the DM for the cosmos. Mm hmm. In Which that I like. scenario, I like and I think a that's lot. a cool idea. Yeah. So, right. uh, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good one. But yeah, so uh, yeah, but we'll quickly move on to banishers because I know that uh, I've seen that you've been playing it. But like you said, you you hop off of it and go do something else. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you, banishers. Blake was asking me what I thought about it, and there's a couple of interesting points that of uh, of discussion on it for me. Primarily being, it's a really good example of. We don't know the budget, so I'm going to be careful about saying too much. But we also do know it's a double-A game. It's a focus entertainment game. It's not Naughty Dog budget game. Most of the time, as an Unreal Engine 5 game, the game looks great. The yeah. lip sync is not always perfect. Nah. Every now and then, you can see like a single-frame stutter as it tries to switch to a very specific animation when you're doing certain banisher activities. But that's really small and hardly even noticeable, so nothing to complain about. And the voice acting is all pretty good. Are mm-hmm. some of the animations of the body a little stiff on side characters? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I think the game does a good job of kind of prioritizing things in a way where the way I talked about it, it's one thing that's keep happening in the Discord. Uh, Rude Days 93 is brought up on uh, a bunch of occasions. Uh, shout out to him. That... There's a report that we saw that Spider-Man, and I don't know if this came from the Insomniac leaks or what, but I know that somehow, some way, we saw that Spider-Man 2's budget was about $100 million more than Spider-Man 1. 
And the immediate question that everyone who cares about looking at numbers like that has is, Spider-Man 2, was it great? Of course. Did it look great? Of course. Did I feel a $100 million difference? No. I just Mm -hmm. didn't. And at what point do you have to ask yourself, could that $100 million just, could you have made a game that was essentially the same as Spider-Man 1 and still would have been fun and had a cool story and good characters and all these things, and that other $100 million that I really couldn't tell the difference from, could you have just made a small game with that? Could you have done literally anything with that? Could you have made the game a year quicker and, a, and $100 million cheaper without that? And you kind of have to ask yourself, like, what do you prioritize here? And of course, when you're the the breadwinner, you know, series of uh, of one of the house of exclusive IPs, it's it's hard to want to make that that call. But it <laughs> seems like even Sony's kind of being like, we've got to start getting our budgets in in check because this is getting ridiculous. And I don't want to say that Sony's going to go the way of Xbox, but it was really interesting hearing. Uh, the the PlayStation guy be uh, what Hiroki Totoki or whatever his name yep. is uh, talk about how the games are getting so crazy that it might make sense to start seeing some PlayStation games release day and date on PC. Dude, I I'm on team. Bring it to Xbox. Like genuine. I'm like fully on board with it. Now, what do you mean for like for all games or just specifically no. a game like Helldivers Two? Game like Helldivers Two. Put that shit on Xbox tomorrow. Why yeah. wouldn't you do that? Well, right now you wouldn't because you'd only exacerbate server issues. But Valid. Yes. Uh, but like, well, look, dude. we already see that Helldivers went PC day and date. Yeah. Sensible move. Concord is PC day and date. Yeah. Well, and I think we've long said right on this show, it makes sense for a games as a service game mm-hmm. to go PC day and date. Yeah. I think there's a really strong argument as to why you don't go PC, uh, go Xbox day and date because you still want the you still want the cachet that comes with being a PlayStation console exclusives when you're dealing with consumers who just don't deal with PC. They're not losing anything, but they're still getting to feel like I made a better choice on my console side by not going with Xbox because PlayStation has this game. I can only play here, which if we're looking at a lot of the conversation happening in the Xbox sphere, that was the worry. I bought an Xbox, but most of the games that I've gotten to enjoy are still just going to go to play or go to Xbox. Is it happening down the line? Of course. Is it going to really be that big of a deal that people are getting to play a game that you got to play, but just a year or so later? No, it's not really a big deal. But you still kind of have that thing of like, maybe I'd have been better off buying a PlayStation because I'd get real real experiences I can only have on a console with them. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a reasonable thought process for people to end up is really what I'm getting at. But yeah, going back to banishers and budget, I just think that, that game does a really good job of, of towing the line, much like yeah. we saw with, with like Playtale, like I mentioned last week. So I continue to be very impressed by the game and I think it's doing a lot of interesting stuff and it's a game that continues to get better the more you play it because they continue to push the actual uh, novelty of the setup and it's 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 a real bold move to slow burn it and be like we're going to hold a lot of the mechanics behind you getting to the title card. It's a bold yeah. move because you are hoping that people stick with the very bare bone <clears throat> mechanics that happen up to that point. I don't but think if they it's do, too bad. Yeah, oh, it's not too bad, but it's it is still here. It's simple, yeah, and, yeah, and it's not that long, thankfully. <laughs> but still, point being is, we know that early hours of a game are very important to whether people stay on or stay off. Mm-hmm. And so they took a risk. I think it's a calculated risk that worked, in my opinion. 
but it was a risk nonetheless. Uh, so I'm, I'm impressed with the game. What is it that's not kind of sticking with you? Can, I, can you quantify it, or is it just you have other wants that are pulling you and this game is not overcoming them? Because I think that's reasonable. Where I'd say the game is for me right now, I think it's a great game. And I, the more, the deeper I get into it, the more I start to have that urge of like, I kind of want to go play Banishers. But for a while there, I was like, this may be a really solid eight out of 10 that other things can easily pull you off of. And that's fine. The industry needs those. Yeah. <laughs> but where is it? You know, is it just Fallout's too good? <laughs> it's that, but it's also just like, I feel like right now, anytime I'm on PlayStation, people are like, oh, you want to play Helldivers? And True. Like, that part of me where it's like, Yes, but no. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's like, it's been almost, because I've been spending a lot of time with the game I'll talk about quick in Fallout 3. But like when I'm on my PS5, it's like it's either immediately someone's asking me about Helldivers or five minutes into playing Banisher, someone asks me about Helldivers and I go play Helldivers. Try I've had that divers. a few times. Yeah, primarily Blake. Blake not complaining. I get it, buddy. I want to no, play the absolutely. game too. <laughs> but it's funny because a few times I'll turn my PlayStation on, play Banishers for about ten minutes, and then right when I'm in, like something cool is about to happen, Blake's like Helldivers. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's, like yes, but also damn it. <laughs> right, that's exactly what it was because I was like, I, it would be one of those things where I'd have one conversation with a townsperson and then it'd be like, Helldivers. I'd be like fuck yeah, let's play Helldivers. Like it was yeah. it's never like an I don't want to play it, but. Uh, there was one time I was laughing because uh, I had told everyone that I was playing with them. Like, I'm going to go to bed. Like, I got to get off Helldivers. I just want to go to sleep. So I just went offline and played Banishers for like an hour. <laughs> but nice. it was funny because I logged in the next day and I was playing something. And I was like, why hasn't anyone invited me to Helldivers? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm not showing online. offline. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, that's the community's take for this week. Yeah. Ha- how how often do you accidentally put yourself in online mode so that you can just not be interrupted? <laughs> Dude, yeah, there's just times where I'm like, I don't feel like hang. I this I, it sounds bad, but I don't really think it's bad. There's times where I'm like, I just don't really feel like talking to a friend or anything right now. I don't feel yeah. like anything, and so like I don't feel like hanging out with someone. And they may be like, Oh, what are you doing? And I'll just be like, oh, I'm doing this, this, or this, and it won't be what I'm really doing. Right. But I'm just trying to spare their feelings, and I'll just turn the PlayStation on, show myself offline, so that they mm-hmm. can't be getting on their system and be like, "That fucker's playing Banishers." Dude, <laughs> I don't even to hang out. <laughs> I'm like that. Like I'm fine with, but for me, it's one of those things where it's like I'd rather go offline so I don't have to explain why I don't want to play it because I. It's not even that I don't want to play it, but it's like eh, I think I'm going to play. Like I was saying to Sha- uh, Blake, I was like, eh, I got to get through Final Fantasy VII pretty soon." And then every time he's like, let's play Helldivers. I'm like, fuck. All right, we'll play Helldivers. You know, you do like, need to get through Final Fantasy. Yeah. Dude, I shouldn't have picked up Fallout 3, but I'm so in. <laughs> like, Speaking of Fallout 3, that's the next game on my list. I've still been playing that. Um, I won't talk about it too much. It's, from, it's an old game. It's fucking brilliant. 2008? 2008. This has affirmed that it is the number two game on my list. Because this is like my 15th playthrough probably more than that and i'm still thinking about it outside of work but interestingly there was something today where like i never remember doing and i've gotten the platinum before so i did it but like, i went to the arlington cemetery and for like five minutes i was like i've never seen this before 
Then I'm like, wait, I'm here because there's a bobblehead. So I have seen this before, but I don't remember it. And that was a really cool moment. Um, cause I think I've only been there to get the bobblehead. So it's not a memorable place. Um, but yeah, it was cool. for sure. Well, and time is just a weird thing. There's times where I play a game like 10 or 12 years later mm-hmm. and I'll remember parts of it extremely well. Yep. And I'll be like, yeah, I remember this. And then a part will start and I'll be like, dude, I know I've played this game and I don't know what the fuck this is. Well, dude, it's funny because I, I was saying saying to you last week when we talked about it that like I skipped a lot of this game just through game knowledge. And it's mm-hmm. funny because now I need to go to Galaxy News Radio and I don't remember how to get there and I can't figure out how to get there. <laughs> because I didn't go for the main quest. I've never... I don't. I can't even fast travel there, and I I can't figure it out. I spent like an hour the other day trying to get there, and I was like, "Fuck this! Like, <laughs> I'm just gonna figure something else out." And I'm sure it's super easy, but because it's a main quest line thing, you can't just Google how do I get to GNR? Because you're supposed to just go there. <laughs> so that's been my very niche issue with Fallout. Yeah, that's where uh, uh, world design can be a real interesting thing when you allow your player to just go off and fuck off indefinitely. Right. It's cool that like I skipped a lot of the game, but it sucks because I got that. And there's like a superhuman behemoth there. I have to get to that that place. And I'm almost a little concerned that it won't let me won't let me kill the behemoth because I'm so far past it. Um, But I did have this is the last thing I have to say about it because it was super weird. So for Fallout 3. That there are trophies for each new each uh, karma level for level eight, level fourteen, level twenty, and level thirty. But that's DLC. I ain't doing that shit. Mm. I had for sure. One, I had one of the weirdest bugs I've ever gotten, and I know it was a bug because I had to replay like three hours of the game to get the other difficulty trophy or not difficulty but morality trophy. The game just skipped a level. So I was doing the pit because <clears throat> I'd never done it before and I wanted to, to to just get some levels in there. And it's I didn't even finish the full quest line. And it was like, you're level 14, gave me the trophy, everything. So I'm like, shit. So I had to go back and redo a bunch of stuff in the pit. I finished the full pit DLC and I didn't hit level 14. <laughs> So my the evil playthrough I'm now doing, which I have to bring it back to neutral for the trophy, but I, I was like, I'm not doing this again because I would have had to do a whole part of the quest. That's like it took me like an hour. So I'm like, I'm just sticking with this evil playthrough, but I don't understand how that happened. And it's funny. Yeah, I it, don't know. It's only a negative because I'm trophy hunting. If I wasn't yeah, trophy course. hunting, that would be like, oh, be like, sick. Yeah. I skipped a yeah. fucking level. Dope. But no, <laughs> like I got to go back and figure this out. So that was a really weird instance. But I love that game, man. It's a it's a phenomenal piece of work. Gotcha. Uh, well, you know what? We're going to quickly jump into the community's take that we have. Uh, we're going to only do a couple of answers because we had a real short one. Uh, so... What we're going to do, as you may know, if you listen to the show for a while, if you're a patron by heading over to patreon.com slash nartech and giving as little as a dollar per month to support us, uh, then we try to give you preferred reading. I'm going to choose two patrons and read their answers off. And those are going to be, first and foremost, Jehudi MD, longtime listener, longtime patron. Um, the oh, community's take... It, 
<laughs> yeah, fellow Helldiver. <laughs> the community stake is where we reach out. At the end of episode uh, of every episode, we kind of have a question that we throw out to you, the community, and give you a chance to answer. Reach back out to us. Last week's was uh, we got asked a question about is there a movie? Uh, we actually got given movies for each of us and trying to spin them into a game. So Chris decided it'd be cool to have you guys think of a movie that you think would make a good video game adaptation. And if so, pitch us what the movie uh, would be and then how it'd play, what kind of game you'd like to see. So Jehudi came in and he says, Free Guy, which is actually a pretty easy answer. Uh, you play as the NPC in a game while seeing the world react to the main protagonist's main story progression. Your main task is to survive and take advantage of the situation arising or hindering the main protagonist's pr- progression. I see it as a third-person action survivor roguelite where you keep some of your abilities and progressions from a previous life. I could also see it having uh, some form of quest creation to attract the main protagonist to come to you to finish your quest, which you can take advantage of positively or negatively. It's actually kind of an interesting idea for a game, mainly because you would immediately think that you, if you're thinking of it, it's like you'd want the the power fantasy of being the guy. Uh, But it's, it's kind of nice as being an NPC in that world and trying to find ways to get him to come to you. And it sounds like there might be like a slight, I want to call it kind of like we've already been talking about, um, a morality system. <laughs> but I want to go back to morality systems real quick while we're in the middle of this. I don't want to spend much on it. But you know, you're talking about a morality system in, um, in Fallout 3. There's, of course, a good games like Infamous and Infamous 2 and um, whatnot are good examples of that. They were very common. Bioshock has it. Um, I, in playing Banishers, I don't know if you've reached the point where you have these decisions that you get to make. And I, I won't just call it morality. The card. Okay, I won't call it a morality thing, but the game has moments where you make decisions, much like Until Dawn. They're far more obvious and they're specific. But depending on what you choose to do, it impacts what happens next and, of course, the end of the game to some degree. I am... I've done a few of them now and there's just something about, I like them in concept because it's cool to think of two different ways to play a game, but there's always something over time. It's gotten worse. Cause it's like the idea has been used so much that if, if you're going to use it at all, you kind of be like, you got to do something truly unique with it now. And I'm, it's always a little disappointing that it feels like the decision trees are made to be like, why would you ever break from the decisions? Like, all it's really asking you to do is you're going to make a decision the first time we ask you to make a decision. And then all your other decisions have to follow this because if you don't, the game just doesn't really do anything. It can't because it doesn't know what to do because it's built off of either being purely good or purely bad. And that's exactly what Infamous is. There is no neutral ending for Infamous. You can't yeah. beat it and be like, oh, you were perfectly balanced. You were just as bad as you were good. Here's the third ending, which right. would actually be really cool. Yeah, it would be. But they don't ending. because they don't do that. They they don't think about that. It's you're playing good, you're playing bad. Once you've made a decision to be good, the game may let you make decisions to be bad, but there's no reason for you to do it because you're not going to benefit at all. So I am I'm getting kind of tired of seeing games make decisions or put decisions in where they're like your decisions completely change the outcome of the game. But then it's just binary, and it's like, well, only one of two things is going to happen, and 
once you make one, you're going to do it. And I don't want to say too much about Banishers, but the game even essentially expresses to you that you're making a promise to stick with these decisions. Can you break that promise? Absolutely, you can. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't even sound like there's, I hope, there's a consequence. If you make a promise and then you actively, uh, if you break it even once, there's a consequence. I would fucking love that. that would I cool. don't have high hopes for it. But I don't know. Do you ever feel like that with any of those games where it's like, is it cool that I can play something else? But yeah, but also it got so bad with Infamous. Do you remember Second Son? To It got to the point where the fucking decision was corrupt the youth. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? That's the evil playthrough? That's not... There's no fucking gray area in that. You're either being no. a good person or just being a dick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I think... I think for the most part, it really is true that there's only two. Uh, like, you can only go all evil or all good. Except in Mass Effect, you always punch the reporter. But, like, the reality <laughs> is you're only well, doing Well, that's a good example, good actually. Evil. Mass Effect, you're either going to be, um, what is it? The Paragon or fucking, Renegade. Yeah, yeah. Renegade was the one I remember. I couldn't remember Paragon. Um, yeah, it's like, why would you really make decisions away from that? Because once you've locked into it, the game incentivizes you to lock into it. Yes and no. I mean, there's... You won't get Paragon and Renegade responses all the time, but sure, you sure. could play it totally neutral. You'd just be missing out on that content, which is the point. You're because right. the, the Renegade game does and, allow you to end. Yeah, because the Renegade and Paragon stuff is some of the cooler interactions. That's how you punch the reporter in the face. But Look, it's been so long since I've played Mass Effect 2. That's the only one I've beaten, remember? <laughs> just to throw that out there. I know. Oh, well. But in working off of it, even though the game may let you play neutral, when you get to the end, are th- is there just a binary ending? Or yeah, oh is yeah. there an ending for if you don't... like? Is there a non-Paragon, non-Renegade ending? I don't know. I've never done it because the game doesn't incentivize me to do that. Exactly. So. <laughs> well, and Infamous is worse. Infamous is worse. So it's like, oh, well, once you get to this tier of evil, you get this, this set of powers unlocked. And it's like, okay, so why wouldn't I be pure evil? Right. And that's the thing. That's why I like how Fallout does it because it does change. It does, yeah. Like even your ending changes, like the Ron Perlman Dishonored speech. does a similar thing with, but sure. it, I like Dishonored because it's, I think it's actually more in line with Fallout uh, Three. Fallout Three is a little more obvious, and it tells you, and you see the yeah. the meter move. Um, but Dishonored does it in this way where it's how chaotic were you? It's very yeah. passive. How many people did you kill? how passive were you? Could you be as passive? And so it looks at the state of the world's chaos to determine what the ending's going to be. And I think that's cool because it's hidden. It happens, but you never make the decision uh, on a binary. You just, you've, you've continuously made a decision that has led to a point. Exactly. I, like I love them. that. I like them, but it's hard to do anything <clears throat> other than the binary realistically. Yeah. That's where... It's a crazy thing to say, but a lot of people talk about how they wish gaming was able to be uh, more reactive to where, like, you can do something that the game may not have accounted for. And that's why some people like the idea of AI, (coughs) because if you can get AI into a game, then you can be like, oh, shit, he just came up with a way to solve this puzzle that's completely different. Mm-hmm. And now we can make it to where the characters can talk about it and be like, "Oh shit, you figured that you you figured this out," and it can try and make it feel emergent in a way that games yeah. can't do right now. 
It's just, do you want to pay the price for that? Uh, moving on to the next one, though, we've got Rude Days 93 is our other one. He's another patron. Uh, he says, Alita Battle Angel. Te- I'll give it to him. I mean, it's technically a manga yeah. before it's... But it's okay. He said, which in a way, Cyberpunk 2077 is that. I would make it third person, though, as you play as Alita. I would just add in side missions and such to expand the world, but would follow the movie plot for the rest of the way. I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that Avatar decided to be set in a familiar environment, but with an original story. I definitely didn't have to do that. I thought that was interesting. You know, I I mean, that's some of the best movie games, I think, do that. I think, you know, Hogwarts Legacy not being playing as Harry is kind of nice. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, um, Brett, I don't want an explanation on the game, but do you want to give me a movie that you'd actually pick to make a game out of? Hmm. Clockwork Orange. Interesting. Schindler's List. Um, what's <laughs> <that>? <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> My original it's answer a fucking, was, uh, it's a Marley fucking resource me. management game. <laughs> it's like a top-down strategy resource management village building game. <laughs> oh God! God. Uh, so news. <laughs> Jesus. All right, we're going to go ahead and move into the news. And the first piece of news here. Look, first and foremost, most of the news that we're going to talk about today is from today. As crazy as that is. Uh, We were on a a limited time, and we think a lot of the news today is more important and worth talking about, so I focused on it. So first and foremost, if you are one of the people that were worried about having to buy a Switch or play Shin Megami Tensei Five on your Switch, which I have heard is not a good experience, uh, 12 to 15 frames per second often. (laughs) Yeah, I I stopped playing it for that reason. Yeah, so if that is you, then you're in for some luck because Shin Megami Tensei Five Vengeance, a definitive edition of the One Switch exclusive, was announced for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, as well as other consoles, but this is a PlayStation console, uh, PlayStation podcast, and is set to launch on June 21st, featuring, of course, the game as you know it, but also some new content, new characters, and stuff like that. So if that sounds like your bag, you have a chance to jump in and play it on a more competent system than the Switch. Who knows? Maybe even at some point this year, you'll get it for the Switch 2. That, that got delayed to next year. Also, Switch T-O-O. I fully believe the name should be. It's a terrible name, but I love it. <laughs> Do you imagine if the gimmick is that the Switch cracks in half <laughs> so you can give it to someone else? It's the Switch T-W-O because you can have two of them. Dude, that's actually a really cool idea, though. It would be a sweet idea. Play Battleship on it. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Nintendo's uh, exclusives that are slowly leaving it and being graced to other platforms, Epic Mickey, the once Wii exclusive, is being remade by THU Nordic as Epic Mickey Rebrushed. Actually a great name. I give it it's to not bad. Um, it. Yeah, the title will be dropping the motion control design as it makes its way to modern consoles, including the Switch, and is being remade from the ground up. It is set to release sometime in 2024, though currently, that's all we know. There's a really great uh, animated video showing the setup for the game, which is incredible. I think they did a great job with it. Um, Chris, have you ever played Epic Mickey? I th- Not that one, because there's one did on you- PlayStation I played. Epic Mickey, the power of two. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, I played that one as well. I think the original Epic Mickey is more interesting, though with a lot of caveats because of the fact that you had to play it with a fucking Wiimote and a nunchuck. Um, but I had to, I didn't have a Wii, so I had to borrow that game and system from a friend, and I didn't get to beat it. I got pretty far into it. Um, but if you ever get a chance, you should look into some of the concept art and different things for what the game was wanting to be. There's some really interesting um, interviews that come from the guy who was working on it where he was talking about during the process of, you know, brainstorming for the game, he had his own ideas, but he didn't fully know where Disney's line was. And he said he believes it's the best way to figure out where the line is, is to obviously push back what you think, push past what you think the line will be aggressively so that you can create a confrontation with whoever you're, you're working on this project with to where they'll either confront you and draw a clear line or be faced with a decision of whether they want to continue to push in this direction. Uh, and if they want to push the line further than they, than they initially thought. And I think that's a really cool design element. Mm-hmm. But if you ever look at any of the concept art for Epic Mickey, it is in fucking sane. It is so <laughs> cool looking. I remember when they first announced this game, uh, they gave it a Game Informer cover with a sick piece of art that you can still see. It's not, and it's actually pretty similar to what we saw in the trailer today. My hope is that they might, in this remake, push a little darker than they initially went with with the game, but it's still a super unique idea. And it's a cool twist on a character like Mickey and Ian Sid. That's cool to see coming back around. At first, I thought, is this because Mickey's no longer, like he's public domain, but Disney's still involved? So. Yeah. Well, look, Embracer can do something right once. That's with everything else they have going on. I'm a little surprised that this is happening, being dead honest. I agree. I love this game, but this wouldn't have been at the top of my list of what of the games they're working on is actually going to get continued. And the thing is, I feel pretty confident this is coming out because they know they're in trouble right now. If they didn't think this game was going to make it, they wouldn't have even wasted the time. No, I would agree. Well, but then again, they announced KOTOR, so... You are correct. But that was also because Sony wanted a win. I mean, like that's clearly what it is. Yeah. I don't know if that game would have been announced had it not been for Sony being like, we want that to be at our showcase where we can announce it and get mm-hmm. the PR win. It was a good, it was a pretty hype win. I'll give them that. It was a pretty hype win. Uh, well, you should definitely play Epic Mickey. I will be buying this and this gives you a chance to try it out. So, oh, yeah, brother. All right. I'm going to do one more. Uh, game set that's coming before we get into the xbox news and that is a surprise one honestly when i saw that this morning it stunned me star wars battlefront classic collection is coming to ps5 featuring both classic playstation 2 games bonus content and best of all 64 player multiplayer intact servers will be back up for that was the most surprising part I thought they were just going to put the game and let you play co-op, which yeah. you can still do, by the way. They have said. So that's pretty cool. All of this, complete with trophy support, will be available March 14th. So it's also a Disney game that they're doing that's going to get the extra trophy support, much like we saw with Up. Sadly, not like we saw with Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, but that's okay. This is cool. This is a classic <clears throat> game for so many people in our age group. Um that 
I'm gonna I'm probably gonna dive back into this, even if not for a long time, just for a little kick in nostalgia. It's a cool for a idea. Good time, not a long time. Yeah. I'm curious to see how long this will have server support. <laughs> the main reason I asked that is do you remember when EA came out with their Battlefront one and two? Yes. And the voices across the world, we just want to play the originals. Yours is garbage. But <laughs> all I'm asking you to do right now, put your money where your mouth is. Buy this shit. Do it. Buy this and play the fuck out of it. If you thought that Battlefront from EA was nowhere near as good as these pandemic classics, now is your time. Yeah. That's Vote for what with your vote with your wallet doesn't always mean don't spend your money. <laughs> That's true. One thing that wasn't clear to me with these being classics is this going to hit PS Plus Premium as a free title? I don't think that's what they mean. I don't think so either. I want to clarify that. But that's the problem with using generic language <laughs> because yeah. calling this a classic, I'm like, oh, fuck, what is this? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I think PlayStation labels them as classics, and this is just this is a classic game. Game, you know? I agree. But it would be a pretty cool win. I'm gonna be dead honest for premium because that would be I continue nice. to think premium doesn't quite earn its price tag. <laughs> nope. Resistance. This though. is a this is a strong push towards it. Yes, it is worth going ahead and noting Resistance Retribution, the classic Sony Ben PSP game is available on PlayStation 5 and PS4 right now. I've got it downloaded. Can't wait to start playing it. Uh, as I was telling Chris, if you have a wild hair to want to look into it, uh, you should look into infected mode. It is, unfortunately, as I got confirmation from uh, Sony Ben's uh, community manager, it is not available in the PS5 version of the game. They did apparently look at it, but it was causing issues with getting the game to run right. So they decided to keep it out for now. Unclear whether or not they'll revisit it. Does that mean this will be the first classic with paid DLC? Dude, that would be sick. <laughs> I wouldn't even care. The reason I bring that up, though, is every other classic has been feature complete. Like I, yeah. I mentioned to you that Killzone Liberation has its DLC, the fifth chapter, in baked in game. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So I had high hopes that they would have infected mode here because it wasn't DLC. It was a PS3 PSP connection gimmick to where if you had Resistance 2 and a PS3, you could hook your PSP up to your PlayStation 3 via the USB, have Resistance 2 running, have Resistance Retribution running, and you can go into the settings of Resistance Retribution and it would recognize that you were playing with it connected and you could do two things. You could activate infected mode, which would allow it to where James Grayson is infected. You have fully restorable health via just regenerative. You have a different outfit on, and it adds the 44 Magnum gun that I fucking love from Resistance 2, <laughs> where yeah. you shoot it and the alt fires wherever the bullet lands. You can hit L2 and it'll blow up that bullet. I fucking love that gun. That's uh, And so that was in Retribution, which it's normally not. The second interesting idea that they had is you could play the game with your PlayStation, with your PSP just sitting there. You could play the entire game with your DualShock 3. Nice. That's cool. Which at the time was very unique and novel. Um, so I would have loved to see that, but I don't know how that's going to work because it's not DLC. It's just a 
game toggle. Like if I played that game on Vita right now, you can download a patch that just makes it believe that you've done this and you can play the game in infected mode on Vita. Mm. So it really sucks that you can't do this on PS5. Maybe one day. Pay DLC for your classics. Uh, hey, I'll, I'll give you a dollar. Not against it. i pay a dollar for that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Build me some new Buzz Lightyear levels and I'll pay you 10 bucks for the pack. You might be onto something, Chris. I'm Speaking of being on to something, uh, Xbox was on one when they decided not to announce... <laughs> But they decided not to announce these four games that are what not even a week later announced, right? Yeah, and most of them unceremoniously, but that's okay. We'll let it go and we'll talk about that. So, Xbox's wave of four games seems to be clear as of today, where Hi Fi Rush was announced to be coming to PlayStation on March 19th, whereas Sea of Thieves will be hitting April 30th, featuring cross play, much like Grounded the third title hitting PlayStation on April 16th. And lastly, Pentiment, which releases tomorrow. Technically right now it is past midnight. So uh, yeah, right now the day this episode goes up, you can go play this game uh, and buy it. So I am a little surprised that all four titles are releasing so soon after the announcement, but I'm also not that surprised. Um, (laughs) I there was a a lot of talk about Grounded being one of the titles. I feel like it was an odd title to choose. Uh, Well, let me back that up. I think it's an obvious title to choose. Okay. But I also think that there was more interesting use cases than bringing two games as a service titles over. I think Sea of Thieves is the better out of the two for Grounded. And I I guess what I'm really saying is I think it would have been more useful for Microsoft to give a little bit more of a spread. Two of these being games as a service games that I'm not going to say that they are going to fight each other because one's a survival game and one is fun. Fucking around as a pilot. A pirate, rather. I mean, a pilot. You pilot the ship. You captain the ship, I should say. Sure. Um, I don't think it's like the end of the world or like a bad decision. I just think it's a little odd. Let me say that much. But I've not played Grounded. I've not heard a whole lot about Grounded. The very little I have is that it's moderately fun. But it kind of seems like the least talked about game of this bunch. That's yeah. how I word it. Yeah. To me, Grounded. I almost wonder if they did a two live services because it's an easier sell to sell a live services going everywhere. Um, I don't really see sure. the point personally i like i don't know i'm not gonna play grounded i'll probably buy it again voting with my wallet but i'm i'm not gonna put time into it i didn't like it on pc i'm gonna play sea of thieves and pentiment and hi-fi rush but that's the one two where i'm like it's cool that it's here but it's not for me unless it's free it could be free that would be neat that'd be interesting yeah. I doubt it will because I still consider that it's free on Game Pass and that's why you they, they want you to be doing it on Xbox if at all possible. But they also have ex- accepted now that you're just not on Xbox, so you're probably not going to go there for Grounded. Well, Grounded's 40 <laughs> bucks on PC, so it's not going to be free. <laughs> that's a lot of money for Grounded. Well, that actually brings in more of a comment that we got over on Twitter from... Um, 
one of our listeners, uh, Rob, and he says, with Helldivers 2 being $40, I do worry about Concord and Fair Game's price. If it ain't free to play, I hope it's not $70 because I feel like it wouldn't do well at that price. I hope Sony looks at Helldivers 2 price point and makes all of their live service games that price, if not free to play. Uh, this kind of echoes a sentiment that we, we heard from Cody last week about hoping that Sony kind of keeps an eye on Helldivers price point. This one's a little different because this is clearly aimed at specifically their, their uh, live service games. I do think forty dollars is a much better buy-in for a live service mm-hmm. game than seventy, and I think it's the business model I would prefer to support over free to play. If I'm being honest with myself, I don't like the idea that you give something for free and then have a few wells pay for everything. Primarily because I think it incentivizes the developers to try and push more behind a paywall. And if I'm going to be paying for something just to be on the off whim that you want me to to want to do it, I just would rather pay you for the fucking game and be done with it. <laughs> be honest with you. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. just a difference of opinion. Um, do you think that with Grounded being 40, I imagine Sea of Thieves is probably 40 when it's coming over. Do you think that that may be a common games as a service price point to keep to make it to where you make an initial investment um, instead of having to focus on free to play? Um, I think it'll depend on the game. Like fair game strikes me as a paid game personally. Um, I don't know about Concord. Obviously, I've only seen a cheeseburger from that game, but uh, to me, it just reads more as uh, free to play. Or fair games reads more as a box product, <clears throat> uh, at least so far. But um, I don't know. I mean, the question is all dependent on what they're looking to get from you. Right, and I think if if Concord is a more expensive, bigger game, I would almost hope it's free to play, because I would rather like I get where you're coming from, but I would rather get something like that for free and be like, oh, you know what, I like the skin, and I'm gonna I didn't pay any money for this, I'm gonna throw it at you, uh, throw mm-hmm. you some money, mm-hmm. then have a game I cost. Actually, I like that too. Yeah, I'll give you that. It's just for me, like having the game cost seventy dollars. Or even forty dollars. Like there's, there's more buy-in that I need to get from people to play that game. Like you're an obvious exception because if I buy Concord, you'll probably try it. But like I know with Sean, like it took a while for us to be like, dude, you just got to get Hell Divers, and yeah, sure. he he did it, and that's a forty dollar press point, right? So I think that this is a great example of. Maybe Sony knowing what they had, maybe Sony knowing not knowing it, but at the very least, because of how good it was, I think it sold. But I think the thing with a lot of games, right, is like I talked about Apex for a lot of my time on this show when I first joined. But if you sold me Apex for $70, I wouldn't have bought it. I think that's fair. I get what you mean. Like the barrier of entry being lowered does mean that you can get people in willing to try it. And then for people who do want to be a little more appreciative of the fact that they were able to get in with no cost, Mm -hmm. then being able to be like, Oh, cool. I like this skin. It's a little pricey at $8 or $10 or $15, but I didn't, I know I'm probably swinging way low <laughs> pretty low uh, because I would never fucking pay that for a skin. But point being, 
we'll go. <laughs> uh, point being, having those options, like, well, I didn't pay anything for it, and $20 is easier than $40 up front. Yeah. Or whatever it be, or seventy dollars up front, and I get that. And you may feel like you can do that more often, and you'll get more money. You would, if everything worked as you hoped, you'd get more money over time from people doing that. It's not a guarantee, and it doesn't mean that it's a slower recoup on investment. Whereas a forty dollars price point kind of seems like a nice middle ground. And there's something I looked up because I thought it was curious. I'm not saying they're the same games, but I think it's fair to say that there's a similar basis for fair games and payday three and payday two and whatnot. And payday sure. three is a thirty nine ninety nine game. I think fair games coming in at forty dollars seems right if there's gonna be a price tag. Mm-hmm. I can see that. And I yeah. think much like Helldivers, lower price of entry to help recoup investment day one based off sheer purchases and then continuing to be able to monetize is probably a better mix. Um, I think that this is a reasonable expectation. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Sony hasn't done a lot of free to play for, to look at as an example, but Sony's also not done a lot of games as a service. Yeah. I don't hate it. Again, I I would prefer that games are cheaper. Um, I just look at it and wonder like, yeah, the game's not going to do Helldivers numbers. So at what point are they like, at this 30 bucks, that's 100% of $30. Or, or you know what I'm trying to say. All the, the extra 30 bucks they get from selling it for 70 is that worth uh, 100,000 people who decide they're not going to give it a shot? I don't know. That's exactly. A, that's not you, my yeah. job to figure out. So <laughs> good luck, Hiroki Totoki. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, we're going to keep moving on for now, um, going through what we have. Uh, and the last piece of news, let me quickly <clears> pull up <throat> a news article for it. Because um, I think it's interesting. Uh, so this comes from Engadget. Uh, and this is a few days ago. And we probably should have talked about it last week, but we had other stuff going on. So there's just been this idea. There's two things that are kind of happening. There's this thought process that Sony is still going to release a PS5 Pro this year. And the weird caveat for some people is that it seems like they're going to do that in a year where they don't have a big exclusive sequel. A lot of people are viewing it as no big exclusive, but I think the wording here is very specific. So uh, the article here, its tagline is PS5 won't be getting any big first party sequels for at least a year. And I think that wording is important. It does mean that you should not expect to see any follow-ups to existing franchises like God of War Spider-Man, arguably at this point, that also includes things like Death Stranding 2, which we know is coming in 2025. Um, We also have um, Ghost of Tsushima 2 and The Last of Us. You shouldn't expect any kind of follow-up in. But this does specifically say an existing franchise. So we do not plan, here's the exact quote, while major projects are currently under development, we do not plan to release any new major existing franchise titles next fiscal year like God of War, Ragnarok, and Marvel Spider-Man. So what I think is interesting about that is clearly we already know there's plans to get Concord, uh, potentially Concord, Fair Games, and a number of other partnership games this year as kind of the way they're filling out their their slate. And that includes things like second-party deals like Helldivers 2, where they act as a publisher, but it's not first-party. And then for things like Concord and Fair Games, where they have now bought those developers uh, and continue to move forward. 
But that also doesn't mean that there's not room for a new non-games-as-a-service IP in here. I'm not saying that I'm sure that's going to happen, but I think this wording was specific for mm-hmm. a reason. I think they wanted enough leverage to be able to be like, if we can get one of our new IP ready, even if it's not a games-as-a-service, we want to be able to release it this year, but we want to set expectations that you shouldn't expect any kind of big sequel. And why would you? All of these games have seen recent entries. Yeah. I mean, then that's the thing. If you really break into it, right, there's... It's mostly about that. It's like, hey, we're not going to... Because it was during a financial call. This wasn't like an announcement. So all they were really saying was, we saw this bump from two very established IPs. That's not happening this year. It doesn't mean that they won't have a new IP. It doesn't mean that they will. But all it's saying to you is, hey, Wolverine's not coming out this year. God of War Ragnarok 3 isn't coming out this year. You know what I mean? Spider-Man 4 isn't coming out this year. It's just that. Ghost of Tsushima 2 is not coming out this year. Mm-hmm. And Ghost but, of Tsushima 2 is probably the one game that you might have thought could have made it this year. Yeah. I think I predicted it that they would announce it. So, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of surprised. but I, And then they I announce it this year. It yeah. won't come out this year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the, when they do a PlayStation Showcase on June 15th, of this year june 11th okay we'll take bets um <laughs> it's my birthday they better do it on june 11th three used to be year. on my birthday often i was like yeah sick. all right on, <laughs> on june 11th of this year for brett's birthday when playstation does a showcase i wouldn't be surprised to see wolverine and concord and all of that kind of stuff but I, so i just think it'll be a new ip we'll probably see you, you okay there, buddy? <laughs> yeah, you keep talking. You keep talking to fix my TV. We'll probably see something new. Maybe that intergalactic, the heretic project is there. <laughs> Look at Brett's arm. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but yeah, I just think it, all it's really telling you is uh, don't expect one of our flagship IPs to have a sequel. It's that simple. So no yeah, Infamous 3 this year or 4. No Infamous 4 this year. <laughs> Or Slack yeah, I think that's I think that's obvious. It's like why paint yourself in a corner if you don't have to. If they get a game that's not one of these obvious ones they can get out, sure. But I also think that clearly a lot of their big projects throughout the recent years has been live service games that they've already clearly hinted. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, our first party output will be new things. And like you said, new things do not come with the built-in audience in the same capacity. So as far as this matters from a fiscal call and a financial sales, you know, call, this is a reasonable statement. Uh, but I saw some chatter kind of rise up online that was talking about with no games to be able to showcase PS5 Pro, why would they do it? And I just don't think that's quite true because <clears throat> I think clearly games like Fair Games and Concord, depending on when they choose to release it, will either be games that release onto this system after it's already out or will be games that are so new that they go uh, when they're showing the system off. They're like, Fair Games will be able to run at uh, a 4K solid resolution at 60 frames per second. And this mm-hmm. is us showing you, saying it to you. And if you want to play it at 1440p, 120 frames per second, we also have that. And they can kind of play with it that way and show you what that game's doing. And I, I think it's a little crazy to not think that we're going to see a Final Fantasy VII Rebirth Final uh, PS5 Pro patch mm-hmm. if that does indeed come this year. Here- Silent Hill 2 Remake, if it's still coming this year, like it seems to be. 
who knows <laughs> then Here's that the game thing, may dude. may run better you know they don't need a single game because they don't. what's what's going to happen is they're going to announce mm-hmm. the the PlayStation 5 Pro showcase I mean guess what we're going to see there the new Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer and that's all they'll need to do it'll be a two and a half minute press conference and that'll be it all they got to do is say Grand Theft Auto because it's one of those things where with this, like, it's really just a technical bump, right? So all they got to do is say, Dragon's Dogma, 60 FPS. GTA 6, 40 FPS. You know, it's that simple. That's all they need to do to sell it is, hey, your games are going to play even better than they did before. And then you're prepared yeah. for Ghost of Tsushima 2 or whatever they're going to call that. So, For sure. Um, I, I don't want to derail us too far on this but i thought it was interesting while we're talking about the games that are coming this year and silent hill 2 being among them did you see that the uh, ceo of uh bloober team criticized the trailer for silent hill 2 yeah saying that he didn't think that konami cut a trailer that showed the spirit of the game that they are working on yeah i saw that but it, it was funny because he said all that and that's great but like i was listening to sacred symbols and Colin made a great point he's like yeah but that's in the game <laughs> It is in the game. So it's even if you're those, cutting like, it in a way that's showing it in its worst case material or worst case scenario, for people who say that you may not understand the, the you know the source material of the, of the game from the original one, that still might be true. And look, it's a trailer. How many yeah. times has trailers done a bad job at really showing what a game does? But it's kind of hard to be like, hey, that trailer doesn't show the game well. That may be true, but you can't act like the trailer included things that aren't in the game. Mm-hmm. Like how many great movies have had bad, good trailers, you know? Or how many, how many bad, bad movies? movies have had good trailers? That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, exactly. And how After many Earth. great movies have had bad trailers? It Dude, has that, happened. That Will and Jaden Smith movie looked sick. And then you watch it and you're like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Madam Web, you could have cut a brilliant Madam Web trailer. You know, it's all, it's just how you cut it. Yeah, I think it's just really interesting to see that. Um, but yeah, across the board, there's clear, obvious ways for them to be able to show off PS5 Pro. And if you remember what they did with PS4 Pro, even games that have been out for a while got patches. Mm-hmm. Uncharted 4 had been out for probably a year at that point, got a patch. Uh, very unfortunately, the order did not get one. Uh, but like Infamous Second Son got one. That's like a, that's a pretty old game to be getting that treatment. So I think you'll see the same thing here. God of War Ragnarok will be like, this is how it was all. This is a true PS5 version and crazy resolution. Forbidden West will be updated to look ridiculous on it. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, just show me that. They're going to have Miley Cyrus come out with a Hannah Montana wig and be like, with PS5 Pro, you can play with the best of resolution mode and performance mode and you get the best of both worlds and she kicks out of the song and then they announce that they're remastering the Hannah Montana game from PS3 <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be PS5 Pro compatible <laughs> 8K the, 120 frames per second wouldn't that be the funniest possible way they could announce PS3 backwards compatibility where the oh game they God, show that off would be so good. Hannah Montana the movie I would that would be Dude, the that would be funniest. so sick I actually think that'd be move. brilliant. Oh, hell yeah, it would. Brilliant marketing. And hey. if you can legit, I doubt she would, but if you could get Miley Cyrus to come out <laughs> yeah, and not ever say the words Hannah Montana, but clearly imply them. <laughs> right, exactly. 
I'm live streaming yeah. here from my ranch in Montana, and I <laughs> am here to talk to you about PlayStation 3 backwards compatibility. Oh, dude. What a world we could live in, Chris. We should be in the marketing team. We would be so much better than then again, Jim. That Why would you want to play this, Ryan? That completely relies on the fact that backwards compatibility would even be coming speaking of jim why would you play this ron we got an interesting question we can inject in here for a second uh no fate <clears throat> one of our longtime listeners longtime patrons he asked over on twitter he took it upon himself to ask us without us even asking there was no call to action this man just tweeted at triangle sqrd like you can too because he's the man he says with jim ryan stepping down and someone new taking over could Sony be quietly course correcting their censorship policy to fall more in line with other platforms once more? Stellar Blade, for example. It's an interesting thought process. I'm not going to say that I think that there's enough smoke for me to think that there's fire, but Stellar Blade is interesting. The main difference is that a lot of the weird censorship the PlayStation did was on actually naked people but blurring them when you like the the infamous example of devil may cry five where he's carrying the naked body of the girl but the way he's carrying her already hides her breasts and if i remember correctly you see like her butt crack yeah and on playstation 5 only her butt crack was emanating a bright light (laughs) (laughs) to act as like a lens flare to cover the fact that we got to see a woman's butt crack Oh, but no, then I got to horror. see, then I got to see Abby's face twist and contort. Um, look, I and I think I like The Last of Us too. That's not a hit on them. I just think it's really interesting where Sony was like, "Yeah, fuck it, you can do whatever you want." Naughty Dog. Um, my point being here is something about Stellar Blade does kind of make you be like, "This does seem like this would be one of the games where certain outfits." And I've seen some pretty wild ones where like ass cheeks are almost entirely flesh out. Yeah. You might be onto something, Sean, and I am hoping that soon we can look in the past and be like, great, at least Sony is not the overbearing odd one out, and they're more in line at worst with what everyone else is doing. There is something to be said when Switch will let you play near-naked volleyball with the Sinran Kagura girls, but PlayStation's like, nah, miss me with that shit. (laughs) So what you're saying is Jim Ryan was woke and Hiroki Totoki is based AF. Yeah, Chris. That's it. You got it. Your online (laughs) online lingo is so great. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we've got a couple other questions we're going to run through real quick. Um, We got actually, I'll give him his, uh, his shout out. This is No Fate once more. Once again, messaging without even having to worry about a a prompt really shout out to you he says meant to ask this a while back but forgot the question after the release of grounded 2 what are some other gaming documentaries you thought were entertaining Uh, i say i've not gotten to watch grounded 2 yet i actually want to because i find the last of us 2 to be a fascinating example of um losing control of the narrative Mm -hmm. over your own product and how much of an impact that can have on you. And the main reason is that a lot of people hate The Last of Us Part Two for stuff that's not even in the game because of how much they lost control of the narrative. Yep. 
Abby's not that is trans. a <laughs> that is a fascinating, a genuinely fascinating thing to see. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. of that, I want to watch this. I've seen little snippets. I saw Laura Bailey talking about how she got harassed for being the voice of uh, of Abby, um, which is insane. If if it's not obvious to say creeping after a fucking voice actor for doing their jobs is insane. What is wrong with you? <laughs> yep. Chris, you'll like this. I've been I've been here. watching uh, I've been watching a lot of stuff around free will lately as oh. I continue to try and challenge my own position of free will. Um, and I think you I'm, I'm happy to say the needle has moved. Mm. I won't say that I think that uh, that free will doesn't exist at all, but I think there's a lot of reasonably well put and strong arguments for why at the very least some things that we have a tendency to attribute to free will uh, are clearly not free will. So there's, I'm continuing to mess around and invest time with it because I find it to be a fascinating subject as I have since the first time I heard it. Great Um, subject. But with that in mind, yeah, it's one of those things where I thought about that because I'm like, I guess these people can't technically control what they're doing, but fuck. It's like, (laughs) come on, man. This is ridiculous. Uh, So if if we do have uh, free will and there is self-control, then get yourself together, man. Uh, If we don't have free will, then God protect us all. Um, (laughs) I don't. I'm not even a religious man, but that's just that's what I felt the need to say. Um, That said, I've watched a lot of gaming documentaries and I quite enjoy them. And this actually kind of falls in line with what I was talking about the the making of Shadow of the Colossus. the the video that they did that was included in the Blue Point remake. Chris, do you have some gaming documentaries that you've really enjoyed? Um, no, I'm trying to think of the book I wanted to recommend. Is it Jason Schreier's? No, Blood Sweat Victims. Um, Consoles. Or... Oh, the the one between Sega and Nintendo, right? Sega and Nintendo. Yeah, that's a fantastic book. So yeah, it's, I it's, would it's recommend not a documentary, that. but close it's enough. close enough because I've never. I don't really sit and watch movies, so I haven't done it for a game, but that's a book I would recommend about the gaming industry. <clears throat> Blood, Sweat, and Pixels is also great. It is. It's very good. Um, you, you know, I'll tell you, I don't think that we often see as many uh, games or as, as really, I should say, as many documentaries <clears throat> that are covering games. Um I would say that there are a few really interesting ones. And of course, a lot of them are PlayStation because they kind of gave this push early on. And I would say that the uh, Raising Kratos is a really interesting look into the thought process behind choosing what to do with Kratos as they move forward. Whether or not you agree with what that move did to Kratos as a character is a different story. But I like the process of looking at how do you take something that's established and well-known and how do you deconstruct it and reconstruct it in a way that still serves as a touchstone point for this character who still exists, but we want to make a radical change within him. And I think seeing not only the story writing aspects of that, but how they wanted to echo that in gameplay, how they had to strangle, like they had to wrestle with self doubt about whether or not they were making the right moves. And even things like staying up late to see what review scores are for something that you know is going to, rock the existing fan base, but to potentially bring a lot of new people in. I find that stuff fascinating. But if you want to go with one that's a little uh, different, uh, pretending I'm Superman 
or pretending I'm a Superman, I think is what it's called. Uh, it's the Tony Hawk video game story. Oh, it yeah. is fascinating. It is worth a watch to dig in and kind of see what was going on in the industry that long ago. Because mm-hmm. that is, you know, you're talking 25 years ago now. Um, uh, you know what? <clears throat> I do actually have another gaming documentary I really like. Um, I highly recommend watching Grandma's Boy. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's almost more like a slice of life game development movie. Yeah, it is. You know? It yeah, is. I, great time, though. That movie's always funny because I do love that movie. And, you know, I used to be very staunchly anti drug. And I still, of course, I don't do drugs. I don't have any interest in doing them, but I'm far less staunch uh, against them. But I remember in high school, when I was that way and more of my people who knew me would talk about grandma's boy and I'd say they loved it. They were like, how? And it's a good question because that movie is just a, it's half of a video game movie and then half of just pothead humor. (laughs) It's a stoner comedy. Yeah. It's a stoner comedy through and through in many ways, but for some reason it works even back then for me. So, uh, Great time. Please yeah, there, there's a few other. There's one I've not watched that I've been meaning to watch, which is what I think it's called like the PlayStation Revolution. Um, but Console Wars is great. I agree with him. And if I'm not mistaken, did they not make Console Wars into a, a documentary? No, I think Seth Rogen bought the rights to it years ago, and I don't think they ever made a movie. Hold on. I got to look this up. Console Wars, yes, it did get turned into, yeah, it's a film or it's a documentary. And it, what is, it's on Paramount Plus. Really? I'll have to watch yeah. that. Yeah. And it was Seth Rogen. <laughs> so you were correct. That I knew. Uh, yeah, Seth and Evan. Um, yeah, I, that's a, it's a great read, though. Reading all of the different things that are around that is pretty cool. But yeah, it's a really deep dive, and I really loved a lot of what we saw from those during the PS3 era. A lot of the remaster collections came with interesting documentaries. Speaking of God of War, there's a really great one that's included in the God of War uh, 1 and 2 HD remaster. And it is Corey Barlog, J- uh, David Jaffe, and uh, Stigus Musin on a panel with once with somebody kind of asking questions and what they're discussing is how they kind of had the idea that we saw not really quite come to fruition with like the, the star Wars trilogies where it's like, you have a franchise, but you keep changing directors throughout the franchise. And what does that do? How does that change the way that the, the characters viewed through the lens of the director? How's the story changing? How's the gameplay evolving to commit to that story and move forward? And it's super interesting hearing all of them talk about it. Uh, so the, a lot of these are just, I hope they're on YouTube. If not, they're locked away on PS3 remaster collections, <laughs> but you should absolutely get them. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> they're, they're very fun to watch. So, um, yeah, we got a few more we're going to get through. Uh, there will not be a Velvet's Corner this week. We do not have the time. We're actually pushing right up against our time right now. So we're going to do a couple more questions and go on about our business here. Uh, let's see what we have over in the Discord. We've got... Um, Jehudi MD coming back around. He says, do you believe that intelligent life exists outside of Earth? And will we ever find out? Um, yes and yes. The government's already told you they exist. So. 
Chris, you, uh, you mistake how much I trust the government. If the government's telling me they exist, I have no reason to trust the government. They're only telling me that because it's beneficial to them. I don't know. I think the look. I'll, I'll give you this: eighty-year or forty-year uh, misinformation campaign would fly in the face <laughs> of that. Look, you're probably right. Look, that said, uh, I do think that there's intelligent life outside of Earth. Uh, I think some of that comes with the fact that. I don't want to say like it's impossible to be the same, but I'm, I'm not religious. And I find that religious people tend to have a harder time with the thought process of there being intelligent life off of earth because it kind of goes against a lot of the creation stories. Um, but since I'm not religious and I'm just looking at the world kind of as what it is, uh, even if we are a very, very rare occurrence in terms of where we're at and how life started and continued to evolve on our planet, I would imagine that somewhere else, it, it would only be a matter of numbers to say with how many galaxies there are and how many planets there are per galaxy, that at least one other planet that has what we have to some degree has happened. Maybe they're not quite as smart as us, but we're talking intelligent life. Your dog's intelligent. I mean, it's not maybe what you had in the spirit of, but, you know, cavemen were intelligent. Don't let the aliens hear this podcast. <laughs> you guys could be as smart as dogs <laughs> and cavemen. <laughs> so to answer your question of will we ever find out, that's a much harder question. Because depending on where they are, I think the time needed to be able to look and see and communicate and reach each other and all the different things that come with that may mean that we'll just never be able to know. But I think it feels pretty intuitive to say that there is other intelligent life, even if they don't rise to the level of intelligence we are, or even if they surpass us. What we've talked, what we've seen is that there may just be a limit to the universe of how quickly you can communicate and send out signals. And, you know, we say that we're looking at all times, but maybe the signals are out there and they haven't reached us yet and they'll never reach us in the hum in humanity's lifespan. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of dark thought to think about, but it's quite easily possible. Uh, so with all that in mind, that's kind of that's where I land on that. I, I love the thought process of aliens, and I have a I've fallen victim to the very fun ramblings of uh, Giorgio Sicolis uh, with ancient aliens. It's a fun show to watch. Do I believe any of it? Not really, yeah. <laughs> but it's fun to, to kind of mess around with. So yeah, I think it's a that's very self-centered take to think that you're alone in this vast, ever-expanding universe. That's how I've always <laughs> felt about it. I mean, it's because I, I say this with, with no hate, no nothing. I, I think a lot of people need the sense of purpose that comes from that. See, but I just because like, have you ever seen that video where it like starts and it's the woman on the grass and then it just keeps going up? Mm -hmm. You can't watch that. Like, look, your individual life matters, right? But in the grand scheme of the universe, it just doesn't. We're, we're, you, you get up three, you know, zooms out and you don't even see the, you know, humans anymore. So I, to me, it's just, there's such a vastness that it'd be, it's a kind of self defeating to not just accept that there's other, there could be other possibilities out there. And I, I, that's why I like the idea that there could be. There are other galaxies. Like, of course, there's other stuff out there. 
Yeah. I think it seems, like I said, it, it seems reasonably intuitive that this would have happened at least once else. Yeah. Uh, it, one other time, just because of a sheer numbers game. I mean, it's... Uh, well, that's the thing. Event. Like, it's And if it's, it hasn't happened yet, it'll happen again. I mean, that's that's my other thought process. It's I mean, one of those things. It's it's theoretically possible that I could smack my desk once and my hand goes through. It is theoretically possible that that could happen. It won't, but it's theoretically possible. And there is probably more of a chance of intelligent life in the exp- ever-expanding vastness of space than there is that my hand goes through there. So... To me, it's just clear, you know, there's probably, and the thing is like, we're, it's so spread out that we'd never know and we could never know. And, you know, so who knows what does it really matter? But I do think there's stuff out there. I don't think there's like little grays or anything, but here's the bigger question. Why do you think that humans as a whole, many of them seem to get really invested in this idea of there being other people and wanting to know. I have a sneaking suspicion that it kind of lines up with some of the stuff we talked about a few weeks ago when we had another kind of off the wall question. Um, I think it was actually the, would you rather? (laughs) (laughs) And we were having that kind of little existential conversation. Uh, But what I was kind of getting at is, Sometimes I can understand why we look out and we think to ourselves like certain people will look and think to themselves like I need the motivation of feeling like I'm something more than just me. Mm-hmm. And how I think that ties back into this want for there to be aliens and for us to discover other life is that if we decide, if we discover signs of other life, that has gone well past their original planet. I think it ties into this fantasy that we have that we'll be able to continue to live forever and expand forever. And that we'll never die, which is something that's just very inherently built in humans. Like, you know, we're all, we know that we die and we don't know exactly what happens when we die, but we know that we die and we're very aware of it in a very different way. It's not the animals are aware that they can die but they don't they're not really aware that they just die one day randomly they more mm-hmm. are aware of danger that can end their life rather than just time and so since we're so in tune with what is going on from the passing of time and eventually age catching up with us i think that the thought process of of another life form being able to continue to reach out and expand past itself and find new life is exciting because it feels like that um and so to that end it's a question that plagues a lot of people because they're looking for something more. And I think that kind of goes back to what we're talking about, this idea that I think some people don't believe in aliens because they need more. And they're worried that thinking of elsewhere makes them too little and they feel like they don't have as much purpose as they have if they run through and think to themselves, like, we are the anomaly. We are the one people to change, do something different. Uh, yeah. and, or we are the one planet that has had this, and we've got to do something great with it. And I think people use that to fuel and motivate themselves, which is fine. I, I think if you need that as a motivation, more power to you. I mean, whatever you need to make it feel like you can get through the day and, and find meaning and purpose for everything, then that's good. If you feel like this is the only life and that you get, and we are the only people that get this opportunity, then use that to take it to your advantage. Think about all the things that we you get to do and you get to try to do. And just try to approach them in a in a way where you're 
being mindful of that, if that really is how you want to feel. Yeah, I don't know. I think people are just attracted to mystery, right? Definitely. And it's kind of... Yeah. It's the same thing with ghosts, right? It's like for every time I'm convinced that there's a ghost, you're probably like, well, your pipe's rusty. Yeah. It's the same... It's the same thing, but for me, it's one of those things I've always said where, like, I like being scared because I think it's fun. Yeah, it is. You know, and, like, like I, I get freaked out. Like, if you've seen me on the show get freaked out on here and stuff like that, but, like, I've gone ghost hunting and been in haunted houses, and the reality is, like, all those creepy places probably had nothing in them, but I convinced myself there was something there and it was way more fun that there was, that I thought there was, you know? And I think that's the thing with aliens. It's like, yeah, you can, I think there's a lot of people who had weird experiences, whether it so happens to be people being abducted in the middle of the hippie era or, you know, just people having weird experiences and not being able to understand someone blacking out and waking up in a field and not knowing why he was there. And, you know, oh, the aliens, you know what I mean? Like there's that, and I don't know. I think for me, I've always just operated on the fact that like, and I've been well aware of the fact that like there's people always talk about there's one day you will be thought of for the last time. That's you will. Yeah. How life goes. Unless you're like Ben Franklin, you know, I don't know why that was the example, but unless you're someone like that famous, right? Like eventually it all goes away. And even then, like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you the first CEO of Nintendo. <laughs> you know? Nor could I, yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 to me I've never felt like it's maybe a little doomer of me, but I've never felt like there's all this particular purpose to what I do, you know? So it's it's just trying to make the best for me right now and move on move forward on that, you know. I would love for stuff like to transcend me, like what we're working on together. How cool would that be if we both die and that's something that continues, right? But who knows? It's just a matter of like we're doing, working on it because I think it's kind of fun and, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. So that's why, you know, don't take anything. That's why I don't take anything too seriously, man. Like at work, I'm like, dude, I don't fucking care. You want to, you want to treat me like shit? Like I'll find another job. You know, like that, it's all, it's that kind of <laughs> shit. Cause like the, you know, I always joke about this, but it's really true in how I kind of live my life is like I would be the worst possible thing that could happen to me is dying on the way home from work. If I don't die on one of my days off, it'd be the worst fucking thing. Right? Because you spend think about it, right, man? I spent ten hours being miserable and then on my way home I get hit by a semi truck. That's the worst fucking day of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's that's what sucks. I always feel like, you know, I want to be spending my time doing good shit. And I think regardless of aliens or not, just focus on the time you got now. If there's more, if there's aliens out there and the universe is ever expansive, whatever, we're all going to die in heat death. You know, it's all going to go away eventually. <laughs> or, you know, Elon Musk is going to turn the simulation off and start again. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. Maybe. Well, Chris, that was a... Oddly somber conversation to have. And uh, we're going <laughs> to cap it off with a question for you that is oh. probably going to shake that completely right off the rails. Uh, TT Dog 666, longtime listener, longtime uh, patron. He says, 
question for Chris. Oh, as a Red Sox fan, are you having mixed feelings about MLB The Show 24 covering the career of Derek Jeter? Um, Derek Jeter is a very important and very overrated baseball player, and I'm be very happy to see his career in moments that hopefully don't take too long and aren't attached to a trophy. <laughs> no, look, I mean, the reality is like whatever, you know, Derek Jeter's DRS says he was still a very famous and important uh, character in the, in the sport of baseball. You know, he's one of those people who you will remember for generations. So is, is he our generations, Babe Ruth? I hope not. <laughs> well, yeah, look, it's always funny to think how people end up like that. Like, do you think people, even when Babe Ruth was popping off at its height, do you think people then were like, "We're gonna people are gonna be talking about this man a hundred years from now"? Probably. Well, look, yes, because we're doing it right now with Shohei Otani, so like it doesn't, you know, he's basically the same as Babe Ruth, except better because he can hit actual baseballs instead of you know other drunk dudes throwing the ball at them 60 miles an hour so i don't know it's one of those things like for me as a sports fan like i we were talking about it during the super bowl when uh taylor swift finally got her first ring and i had said like i've made a point to see other sports to see important players because yeah, i want to be able to tell my kids like yeah i saw lebron james play i don't give a fuck about basketball but I'll sit in that court for an hour or whatever it says, and then I say I did it. You know, being at a Red Sox game and seeing like Shohei Otani pitch a complete game against the Red Sox, like it sucks we lost, but I would take losing every time to have seen that. You know, it's it's, it's a yeah. historic game. It they talk about that game in MLB the Show, and I was there. That's sick. So I don't know. I think it's important to commemorate all the players. I just kind of wish that the uh, Everyone in this world, and this is going to sound bad coming from a Red Sox fan. I know, I understand, but like, can we just leave the Yankees alone? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, like, like I don't care, you know. But can we just move on? Like, there's other teams, you know. That's the big thing with Derek Jeter. Like, it, hot take all you want. Don't argue with me. I don't want to talk baseball in our video game Discord. But um, Derek Jeter, if he plays for the Kansas City Royals, isn't a Hall of Famer, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, there we have it. Chris, hope that answered your question. Or rather, sorry, TT Dog, hope that answered your question. Chris, <laughs> thanks for answering it. Uh, I've been joined by my almost 17-year-old cat. Uh, apparently, she was sleeping in here the entire podcast and just woke up. Uh, Very so happy if you can for, see, If you can see Podcast Kitty, say hello to Tabby. Uh, Tabitha yeah. and Cat. Uh, she's a good cat. I quite enjoy her. Wow. She doesn't have teeth anymore. We had to get them taken out because she's old. Oh, shit. Um, but you know, she, she still eats well all the same. So with that in mind, we are going to round the show out. Chris, do you have a, a community stake in mind? I kind of like the idea of how many times you've been caught accidentally staying in offline mode. <laughs> That's fine. Do you believe in aliens or does free will exist or is everything we do futile and predetermined? <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we will see you next week, hopefully with a more uh, full featured episode. But thanks for joining us. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed that we were able to get something out. And without further ado, we always like to shout out our patrons who went over to patreon.com slash nartech. Uh, but if you can't give as little as a dollar per month, 
to support the show, then we still hope we hear from you over in the Discord, which is linked in the description below. Join in there. Talk to Chris and I and all the other listeners, uh, many of them patrons, uh, about the show, about music, about movies, whatever you're into. If that's not your bag and you'd rather find us on X, then you can find us over at Triangle SQRD on that platform. Uh, And lastly, if you really want to, we're not very active on it. You can find us in the Facebook group, Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. Uh, with that in mind, a shout out to all of our uh, our patrons who help support the show, starting with Duh Overlord, Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, Easton328, Aztec King, Leechion69, The Lord Corgi, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.